Welcome to season three of The Outcast, the podcast giving a voice to anyone who has ever felt like an outsider or an outcast. This is a show with open conversation that promotes an opportunity for growth, education, and healing within many diverse communities. I'm so excited to kick off season three with a very important and deep discussion on the gender role, gender identity, and gender expression. And to help us have this open and educated conversation, I've invited therapist Timothy Elliott to join me. Timothy, welcome to the show. Hi, Dee. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited, very eager to dive into this topic with you as we have seen and heard so many stories, especially recently, about the growing concern over equal rights for our transgender and our non-gender conforming communities, and especially even for transgender children throughout the state of Virginia. And I'd like to start off, Timothy, with you telling us a little bit about how you started in working with gender expression. Absolutely. So I'm a clinical social worker, and I've been in the D.C. metro area for about 10 years now. Um, my first introduction to, to working with the LGBT community and specifically gender identity and expression was when I was the coordinator for an organization actually up in Rockville, Maryland. Um, it was run kind of out of PFLAG, um, which is Parents, Families, and Friends for the Lesbians and Gays. Mm-hmm. And it was providing a support group for um, high school uh, LGBTQ young people kind of across the spectrum, um, twice monthly. Um, what we were finding kind of in, as I was in that role is that so many of the young people coming in were coming in wanting to explore their gender, their gender journey, the gender expression, and really having some, some challenges navigating whether at home in school or, or other communities where they um, live and, and play. So that, that kind of really got me interested to, to be like, oh, this is uh, something that I should, number one, learn more about. But then there was a huge need for it. So I wanted to, to really make sure that we were providing support, um, allowing the young people to, to really get the information they need, connect with resources, uh, and honestly just be able to, to live healthy. The Outcast podcast is supported by Richmond to DC HelpWanted.com. Most folks who work here love living here, and that makes a difference. At Richmond to DC HelpWanted.com, they're proud to work the hometown advantage around the clock, connecting local employers to local job seekers. Richmond to DC HelpWanted.com makes it easy to post a job, and it's local, so you won't get spammed by faraway job seekers. And if you're looking for a good local job, search jobs and apply online right now. Get the advantage of finding a job close to home at Richmond to DC HelpWanted.com. Local jobs that work. You know, uh, one of the points of interest uh, with my own family and my own journey, Timothy, that I'm imagining also has been uh, something that you have found in common with your work of gender expression. One of one of the points of interest in my family has been, you know, one of the pieces, of, it's, it's really education. And sometimes you don't know the right words to say, the right label to give something. You don't necessarily know, uh, you know, what, what the title needs to be. And, and I think a lot of young people are also trying to find what their identity is within some of these labels. And and I'm imagining families are, are struggling a little bit with that when uh, there is an expression of uh, gender questioning or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, labels, they get very tricky uh, very quickly. And I think part of it is because it's a moving target. Um, I work almost primarily with with adolescents and and young adults, and and it seems every week they come in with a new term that I don't know what it is. (laughs) Right. And and so the the first thing that that I talk with young people and and more particularly their parents and and caregivers about is don't get too caught up on the labels. You know, Um, you're going to, throughout your journey, 
find terms that resonate. You're also going to find terms that don't. But to start with, just, just sit with what the experience is, learning about yourself and being comfortable talking about it, not necessarily taking on a label with it. Um, so it's something that kind of in my practice, I'll have a lot of especially uh, adolescents, um, 10, 11, 12-year-olds up into teenage years come in, and, and there's that, that really desire to, to find a label that fits, right. which it's important. My approach is, all right, well, let's learn together. But it's never my job to say, yes, this is the label that fits you based on what you're saying. It's more of let's explore all the potential labels, terms, understanding what they mean, and figuring out what, which one feels right for you. I think some of the uh, some of the the gender expression uh, education piece really comes uh, down to let's let's sort of review how th- how things are playing out gender wise in our lives, even from a young age. And this is something that I know that you are, are well versed in. I mean, when it comes down to like, let's start with the, you know, young, young age, because we're really starting to see some gender expression or gender identity starting very early. That's right, yeah. With gender development, there are several models out there, but a majority of them look at kind of the understanding of gender starting and becoming aware around about seven months to a year old. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when a young person is really starting to just become aware of how gender is presenting in their life. Some of the roles that their caregivers, the, their family, the people that are in their community are filling. And then it continues from there where they start experimenting and exploring with different gender roles and then going towards an integration of that gender. Um, for a lot of our, our gender expansive, which is kind of going back to terms, gender expansive is the term that I use, um, even outside of gender nonconforming, just because I feel like it's a more positive framing to it yeah. instead of a nonconforming, which can be very othering. Um, but with gender expansive or transgender individuals, um, many times they're not allowed to go through the, those developmental stages of gender integration and, and gender identity kind of development. And are, that, can, that can cause a lot, a lot of challenges. What are some of these stages that, that you see and that some people are, are really sort of saying, am I in this stage, am I in that stage? Like, how is that, how do they sort of see where they are in all of that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a lot of it kind of ties back to developmental theory and looking at just kind of awareness as the brain develops, the body develops. Um, kind of in general, what we're looking at is that awareness happening around gender very early. Um, coming into kindergarten and elementary school, there's a lot more exploration uh, around imaginative play and, and trying on different gender roles based on what they've learned from the, the environment and society. And then coming into around puberty and to adolescence is where we really see more of that integration happening um, and, and kind of claiming and saying this is how I see my gender and wanting to express it to others. Um, again, for a lot of our transgender and gender expansive young people, that's when a, a lot of the distress typically comes into play, mm-hmm. um, is when they're faced with families or schools or communities that don't allow that, that expansive exploration around gender. Um, kind of in, in the United States right now and definitely in our area, gender roles are very defined, right? Yes. And, and that's something that we've pushed back against. And I, I love that we've come so far with that, but there's still so much room to go. But in many ways, it's still a binary. You have a boy box that has very specific characteristics, mannerisms, even potentially occupations that if you're in that box, you're expected on some level to fulfill. And then you have the girl box that, that 
the, the same. There are certain mannerisms, characteristics, roles that you're expected to fill. And when your experience doesn't fit into those boxes, it, it can be very difficult to, to explore and really start expressing it in a safe way when you don't fall into either one of those. Well, because immediately I feel like, you know, I don't care how old you are, but especially at a younger age, you immediately you feel the sense that you don't belong somewhere. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. Which that has huge impacts uh, on just social emotional development, on the young person's ability to attend in school, not just physically show up, but cognitively and mentally be able to take information in. It impacts social relationships. When we don't feel secure in who we are or safe in being able to express it, we can't accurately navigate the world around us or connect in meaningful ways with others. Right. And you start trying to fill that void, you know, with something else. I mean, that that starts pretty early on where you're start, you're looking for that sense of belonging. I'm sure that you, you're talking to a lot of young people who are in the midst of that. Right. Absolutely. You know, I want to go back to something you said a minute ago just about education and how important that is. One thing that I often do both with young people and their families and, and support communities around them is just educate on the basics mm-hmm. of gender and sexuality, because I think so often it's all conflated. And and to be honest, the LGBT community, which I identify as part of the community, we don't do a good job of it sometimes, just pushing the whole acronym together when we're really talking about different parts of our identities and different ways that it shows up. Um, So kind of the way that I explain it is in three parts when I'm talking about gender. Um, Gender, you have the um, uh, gender assigned at birth, which really looks at the, the parts, chromosomes and hormones that a young person is born into the world with. A hundred percent of the time when the doctor uh, or the, the nurse practitioner or midwife is delivering a baby, they assign the gender based on what the parts are between the legs. Right. Which, when we look at kind of the, the biology of it even, that's not entirely what, what gender is. We're missing the chromosomes and, and the hormone levels in the body. And then we get to kind of the, the next two pieces. One is the gender identity, which I define that as kind of that internal state of who a person is uh, on masculinity, femininity, a combination of both or neither. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really a, a deep-seated, this is who I am, that when we're talking about that gender journey or gender de- uh, identity development, it's forming and developing, and we're hoping to get a young person to the place of integration so that they can be a fully functioning member of society and participate secure in who they are. Um, and then the last piece, what I'm talking about, about just kind of breaking down gender, is that gender expression. Right. And and really, that is either the the um, the direct ways that we navigate and express our gender in the world, or um, things that we do even not um, kind of directly based on society norms. So these are things like um, haircut and what is described uh, or defined in our society as masculine or feminine, um, way we dress jobs, the way we navigate the world, mannerisms, all of these things that are so heavily influenced by where we live, what time we live in, um, the, the climate and culture around us where um, in the society that we're in. I really love the way that you've broken that down into those uh, three parts. I really love that. That's that's That makes a lot of sense, a great education piece. And, you know, I was thinking while you were talking about that, you know, years and years ago, I, I remember vividly, you know, in, in, in my community, in my small community, it was very much like, you know, people were figuring themselves out, but you had to put yourself into a category for many, many reasons. And a lot of that was because 
because you didn't feel safe, um, you know, not finding your group. And so you wanted to be in a category. But so many people, even just, uh, you know, 20, 25 years ago, were in this place of, okay, well, if I feel more feminine, yet I, I am identifying, let's say, as a as a gay person and I feel more feminine, does that make me, uh, does that make me, I should be a female? Does that, you know, there, there's a lot of questions um, about that. And then a lot of people who said, well, I feel a little feminine, I feel a little masculine. Then they said, well, is that, am I bisexual? Or, mm-hmm. you know, there was a lot of that trying to figure out, but only a few categories that were right. more well-known then. And now we have so much more information. Yeah, and I think that that is the beauty of these ever um, new terms coming up and kind of the, the moving target when it comes to terminology, because it gives us the, the space to explore and more accurately represent ourselves externally, kind of with those feelings that are going on inside. The one other thing that I, I think is really important to, to name just as we're kind of breaking down gender is that it's separate and apart from sexuality and yes. sexual identity, which again, going back to kind of the acronym LGBTQ, it pushes all of these terms that are both talking about sexuality sexual orientation or sexuality and gender or gender identity all into one acronym. And right. oftentimes I think it gives the misrepresentation um, that they're all the same, all in one, and they're not. Um, a, a lot of times, especially when I'm working with families of, of very young children or schools or communities that are serving young children, that is such a defining moment for them in understanding how to effectively support gender and gender development, breaking it out from sexuality or sexual identity, and really seeing those as two separate and interdependent identities and developmental kind of trajectories. Yeah, that's been so important to almost have that as a uh, a banner, a headline to any of the mm-hmm. discussions. And you're absolutely right with some of the um, recent discussions that, that have been had throughout school systems regarding uh, bathroom usage and things of that nature. I mean, just really important discussions. And, and that has been a, a central piece that I, I feel like has been so important to get across this differentiating between uh, the sexuality piece and the gender piece. That's right. Yeah. When you are working with uh, your, when you're working with your families that that you see day in and day out, I, you know, you mentioned the influence, the heavy influence by the 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 world around us, the culture around us. That's so. That is so heavy. I'm glad you used that word um, in your description because it is a heavy influence, and we are coming into it still today with so many labels already put into place. Yeah, and, and it's a challenging thing, especially thinking about just all of the the pressures put on young people, not just academically and socially and developmentally, but then if, if they're trying to navigate a, a piece that, in many ways society says isn't right or identifies you as broken or wrong or or bad even, it it just makes it even difficult. So kind of my approach when I'm I'm working with families, one, is whenever a a family comes in with a young person kind of going through their own gender journey and identifying as gender expansive or, or transgender. I I name up front that this work is not just about the young person. That yes, we want to support them, but 
this is something we need support for the entire family. And mm -hmm. so I'm, I'm saying up front and really building it into our treatment that there's times for the parents to come in without the young person. If there are siblings there, there's support put in place for the siblings and space given to them to express and, and kind of explore um, how the, these changes or, or thoughts are coming up and provide some really good education around that as well. Um, and then the other piece is always going back to safety. You know, um, I'm, I'm big on when we're, we're doing this work, we, we need to set and manage realistic expectations with a young person. Right. And part of that is talking about some potential safety concerns or, or risks, whether it's in uh, the uh, emotional discomfort that comes from people asking in, invasive questions or people not respecting names or pronouns or um, potential um, verbal harassment or navigating schools and communities, churches, um, uh, after-school activities, sports, all of that. And so that, that's a very direct conversation that I have. And depending on the age of the young person, um, adolescents, I, I typically focus with them and we create a safety plan together, and then we loop the parents in. With younger children, it's more of the work with the parents or caregivers around, well, let, let's talk through some of the, the safety realities uh, in your young person's life. What are some areas that um, we, we do need to, to set some expectations and come up with safety plans? Um, and and I, I'm very compassionate when I do that because I, I never want to uh, scare or overly alarm the young person or the family. Right. But it, it's a rea reality of this. I, I think that it would be kind of, for me as a clinician, unethical to come in and, and paint the, this beautiful picture all the time um, when the world doesn't mirror that, unfortunately. Yeah, that's a, that's an extremely good point. I'm glad you brought that up. It, it really is. Uh, it really is a concern. Safety is a big concern. And, and I, I want to pass along some of these and get your your thoughts here on some of these kind of um, what what some people call beginner questions, because I know that you do work with families and I'm glad you sort of mapped that process out a little bit. I know every family is different. I know every uh, every situation is, is different as you approach it. Um, so you don't really have necessarily a, a blanket form to go uh, with every family but some of the beginner questions that have that have come in have been about you know okay so uh, my child is expressing um, you know a, a different gender identity than what uh, he or she did you know a few years ago and we don't know how to start this process or where to go with this process you know I, I would imagine your first piece of advice is to sit down with a therapist because this is a this is a, a really big conversation that involves a lot of moving parts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it would be. And I think that that is a, a, a fairly good place to start is connecting with a therapist or a community, even outside of formal networks. And I'll just say that because depending on where you are, you might not find a therapist who has experience or, or knowledge in exploring gender identity right. and gender expansiveness. Um, so um, kind of the, the first thing is, is vetting and finding a therapist that, that does have some level of experience and one that you feel comfortable with. Um, I really focus on the relationship with the young person and the family, and if that's not there, no matter how good information I have, it's not going to be exactly what the young person or family needs. So um, to start with, just finding someone that you feel comfortable talking with. Um, other questions that I recommend parents asking when they're, they're um, talking with a potential new therapist is, are you familiar with WPATH? WPATH stands for the World Professional Association of Transgender Health, and they're the organization that puts out the standards of care for supporting transgender young people and adults. 
Um, for someone who seems very confused by that question, that's an indicator that they probably don't have the knowledge uh, to be able to best support this young person. But if they say, yes, I'm familiar with it, I use the standards of care, potentially even I'm a member of WPATH, that's a good indicator that you know that this clinician is connected in with the supports that could best support your young person and your family. Because you certainly don't want to get into a situation where you are starting care with a therapist and time with a therapist, and then you're going down a road that leaves everyone more confused. That's right. That's right. And something that just as a therapist, I'm always on the lookout for is conversion or reparative therapy, yes. um, which uh, unfortunately, there are several states where it is still legal to practice. Which well, just baffles the, my mind, Timothy. It yeah, just really it does. It is. It is. Um, and um, so it's just something that I'm always wanting to, to really empower the parents and families to find someone that, that is a good support and will um, help their young people. Um, outside of that, there's some really good resources online that I encourage parents to go to. Um, in fact, the Human Rights Campaign, they have a um, topical brief that's up online, the PDF you can download. It's called Supporting and Caring for Transgender Children. And I think it gives such a good overview uh, of some things and questions to think about, areas to connect the, both the young person, but more importantly, the parents and guardians with support to just help as they start their, this journey. Um, the journey itself can be very overwhelming, and, and really helping pace the work, connect with resources is, is some of the best things that we can do. You know, I really like this phrasing, gender journey. I think that's very interesting. And some work that you have, have done also um, includes some research into this gender journey regarding that this is not just a one moment in our life um, kind of journey. This is actually a lifelong process. Yeah, it is. And, and I really stress that with every young person and family that comes to me, that it's a lifelong process and it is completely individual to that young person. And so, like you were saying earlier, there's not one script that I follow, there's not one um, path that we take together, there's not one steps that everybody that comes in is gonna go through. It's really tailoring it. And, and a big piece for me is pacing the work. It's helping the young person, um, in some cases, slow down to be able to explore and to really understand more what their identity is and what steps they need to feel safe, but also helping the parents kind of pace the work and making sure that they're supported with the resources, they have the space to ask the questions and even um, express a variety of emotions that might come up as they're going through this journey. Um, the reality is change, no matter what the change is, no matter how good it could be, is hard for us. Yeah. Um, and, and we all need that space to, to tap into and to tend to to those emotions that come up. Because this isn't something that we are, you know, deciding at age 13 or when hormones kick in, or uh, this is something that is happening well before that and is happening mm -hmm. well after that. That's true. Very, very true. Oftentimes when we're, we're starting to see some of the external um, signals that something's going on does tend to come up around puberty, but that's because the body is going through 
physical change and can become very distressing for young people um, and, and really just smack them in the face with, hey, this is not right. Something is not right. And oftentimes, um, okay, I've worked with many families that come in and they say, you know, we never really thought about it until our young person hit puberty and then all of a sudden um, we saw a change in their behavior. We saw a change in their mood. They started to, to bring it up more to us and it almost seemed like it came out of the blue. Um, when we sit down, oftentimes that's not the case. But again, just because the, the hormones are coming up in the body and the body's going through physical changes, that's when it, it almost becomes more urgent that we need to do something now. Um, and the young person can kind of be set into a panic or crisis mode. It's sort of that it's it's our it's it's already been going on on the inside, but now it's starting to find itself to the surface, to the outside. That, that's right. Yeah, that's right. So I want to talk a little bit because uh, we're going to have part two with Timothy coming up um, in a short time. And, and I want to I, w- I really want to get into more of this discussion on acceptance and support on the on the gender journey and on gender expansion. But, Timothy, I also want to talk a little bit about the work that you do. Um, I know that you've got some fantastic uh, training, uh, clinical trainings that go on with you. And, and people, of course, can contact you for individual therapy as well as uh, family therapy. Um, a, a lot of this looks really good. Your, your website is a fantastic uh, source uh, for resource for people to go to. Uh, tell us a little bit about the work that you specifically have available and how they can get in touch with you and, and see what you're doing and your method. Absolutely. So I have an office in Arlington, Virginia, where I provide both um, child, adolescent, adult psychotherapy, but then do quite a bit of family work, um, like I, I've been mentioning. Um, in addition to that, I, I'll work with schools and community agencies who need uh, some resources or, or education for their staff, um, exploring different policies to make them uh, more gender affirming and supporting their gender expansive young people. Um, and then I also work with clinicians, mental health providers, both in individual consultations um, if they, they need some more one-on-one and resources to either process a specific case and how they can be supportive to their their, their client or just general information. I, I do that as well as in addition to more general workshops. Um, I think my next workshop is coming up up in Baltimore. It's with the Ferens Institute, mm-hmm. um, and it's called Into the Rainbow, Understanding Sexuality and Gender in the Clinical Setting. Wow, that sounds like it's going to be a great, great workshop. And how can people get in touch with you, and, and how can they sign up for some of the things that you have going on? Absolutely. So my email address is probably the best way to get a hold of me. Um, I'm in and out of sessions most of the time, so phone um, isn't always the best. But email is timothy at elliotmsw.com. Elliot is spelled with two L's and two T's. And that is easy to find. And I'm telling you, uh, the website is a great uh, resource as well. And I, I, you know, this is this is a true story. He is in and out of session because I tried to get Timothy. We've we've been tracking each other down for weeks now. So we uh, have. We've been playing phone tag. That is so true. And I'm just so happy that we're we're finally able to connect. I am, too. I really am. I'm so happy that you're going to hang around for uh, part two. We're going to talk more with Timothy Elliott in the meantime. ElliottMSW.com. That's the website. That's correct. It is really a great website go check it out and uh, drop a note to Timothy and tell him how much you've enjoyed him on the podcast as well I'm sure he would appreciate that and we are excited for part two on gender journey and gender expansion coming up on the outcast the views thoughts and opinions expressed by the host and guests on this podcast are their own and not necessarily those of Centennial Broadcasting